Okay, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. And uh, if you've heard this podcast before, well, uh, it's probably because I've done it before. I did it with robotics um, uh, on uh, Spotify. You can't manage anything you can't see the balance in. And so storytelling becomes a really critical part of life. Um, what does it mean? It means that if you're complaining about something or you're telling a story about something, to make that story interesting, that story has to be one side or the other of the, of the truth. So if you tell a story, well, we had a fantastic holiday, that's one side of the truth. Um, if you say we had a really hard day at work yesterday, that's one side of the truth. Um, and we are addicted, addicted. And I mean totally addicted to our stories. We, we, we refuse to change them. We go and find people who reinforce them. We act in a way that suggests that those stories are the truth, but they're not. They're all lies. And storytelling is an art, and it's the art of entertaining. So it's not the art of telling the truth. So deep in your heart of hearts, deep in the deepest recesses of your being, <clears throat> you know the truth. What comes out of your mouth and what goes across the table to another human being is what you consider to be the best process of communicating. And, and, and in that process of communicating, uh, you have an appetite, you have a desire, you have a reason for communicating to either convince that person that you have a story or to entertain that person or to get that person to do something you want. So one way or another, you're telling a story in order to engage and change the experience of another person in the room. So you might be talking as I did to 10,000 people at a time, or you might be talking one-on-one -on -one, as I do now. So the reason we tell stories is to engage. And what we have to be careful of is to make sure that we don't believe the stories we're telling that cause people to be engaged. Because a real story, uh, the truth, the one that's in your heart of hearts, has no polarity, has no... Uh, better than worse than, has no upper greater than a downer. Uh, the real story is that, the, that you can't have a, a shit day without a great day. You can't have a bad year without a good year. You can't have a failed experience without learning from it. And to know the difference between what's in your heart of heart, which is knowing the truth, and what comes out of your mouth is really important because it gives you the opportunity to know when you're in making a mess of things verbally. And between your heart of hearts and what comes out your mouth in the form of communication, there is a, let's call it a forest. And between where things start, which is your heart of hearts, you have good intent, you want to cause people to be, uh, you want to spread the love of the world, you want to make people feel uh, successful, you want to do the right thing in the world. Between that uh, intent, and what comes out your mouth is a, a, is a forest, and in that forest there can be a fog. It can be a, um, a it can be a bushfire, and that's called emotion. So let me give you an example. Say yesterday you stubbed your toe, and your toe got broken, and it's aching. It's your toe's aching like crap. And you're sitting in a meeting at work today, and you've taken a couple of Panadol, but there's still the awareness that the toe's uh, probably broken and it's really hurting. So you sit there, in your heart of hearts, you're having a conversation with someone, you want them to do something for you, and you say, 
I would love you to uh, do this project for me, please. Thank you very much. Okay, all clear. I'm going to organize it in a way that you know uh, how to do it because I've done it before. I would never delegate anything I don't know how to do. Uh, I'm going to supervise you to do just one slice of it so that we both agree that I've organized it well. And then I'm going to deputize you, which means you're going to run off and, and enjoy the process of being empowered to do the project with clarity of uh, leadership. That conversation is very easy to understand. It's all really good. But you stubbed your toe. So between the intent you have, which is to give and empower another human being, and the words that come out your mouth, which is organize, supervise, deputize, there's a fog. And across in that fog is your pain. And not only your pain, but probably a little bit of anger about being stupid, about stubbing your toe, and then probably a little pissed offness about the fact that you're going to miss this weekend's jog uh, with your mates or with your friends, or you're going to not be able to put on shoes to go to that dinner you were thinking about going to on Friday night. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And that stuff that's going on is the, let's call it the, the, the cloud through which your intent passes to get to your mouth. And now if we measure every word that comes out your mouth by writing it down, we could say by examining every single word that comes out of your mouth and writing every single word down, we can be very, very careful that what comes out of your mouth is authentic too. We can say we, we uh, uh, abandon concepts of got to and love to, uh, got to and should, and we bind ourselves to words like choose to and love to. So we say, uh, uh, you know, I, I hope you would love to do this with me. Uh, um, and if you choose to, we can get this done together and yada, yada. And instead of saying you've got to get this done by tomorrow and if you don't get it, you should have done it better. So we can keep away from language that, uh, that, that, that is conspicuous in its, in its aggression and in its violence to another human being. We can keep away from the words. But what we can't measure when we write words down on a piece of paper is tonality. So when I say to you, would you love to do this? Or would you, do you think, do you want, do you choose it or don't you choose it? I can spice a word with the cloud that's in me and cause that word to become quite poisonous, even though it's in the high level of the consciousness current. And so it's that spicing of language and it's the spicing of thought and it's the spicing of moods and the spicing of opinions that we have to be very, very conscious of as we become leaders. Now, most people are not going to be leaders. They're going to be small-minded, narrow-minded, righteous people, and they're going to say, uh, you're right, I'm wrong, or I'm wrong, you're right. And they're going to look for the binary discussion of saying, oh, I see your opinion, you see my opinion, I'm still right, and you think you're right. Well, okay, I see your opinion, you see mine, fuck off. We, they're going to get into a state of witnessing uh, other people's perspective, but not necessarily modifying their own. Now, I want to talk about this modification of our own perspective. When the earth was created and, and, and there, was, there was human beings uh, became um, evolved out of the cells of microfibers that came from other places on, in the universe, the single cell morphed into a multiple cell, 
multi-cell and the multi-cell morphed into um, things like tadpoles and the tadpoles evolved into frogs and etc. So you don't have to look really, really hard to understand the evolution of the human species. It's been researched, it's there in paper, and the religious zealots will say that that is uh, bad information planted here on purpose by the devil to make people not believe in their God. And that's just ludicrous. The evolution of the species is, is, um, is, is templated in the Earth's crust, and it's told in most biological books. For example, the Earth was created in seven days. And do we really believe that? Well, of course not. It's seven galactic days. So in seven rotations of the galaxy we call the Milky Way, in seven rotations of that galaxy, Earth was created. And each rotation of the Milky Way is called a galactic day. If you measure the age of the Earth, how many billion years old it is, and measure the number of times it takes the Milky Way to rotate, you will find an exact scientific correlation between seven rotations of the galaxy and, and, and the age of the Earth's uh, material. So, going back to the point in question we have here. Everything since beginning of dot has evolved. Everything. Uh, there's not one. There's not one dinosaur. There's lots of people setting up all these uh, uh, save the Tasmanian tiger uh, 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 um, sanctuaries and save this sanctuary and save that sanctuary and bless them for doing it. And that's great. All that's doing is balancing somebody else who's out there saying, "Let's make silk purses out of." Um, out of uh, Tasmanian tigers, or let's uh, make the world safe up in Queensland and get rid of the crocodiles, and someone's going out there saying, oh, save the crocodiles. And between these two groups of people, evolution takes place right down the middle of them. So when says, someone says, I'm, I'm anti-violence, they breed, and they uh, are part of the causation of another individual in the, in the world going around, let's kill them all. So we have to be careful that when we understand uh, the cloud, the, the, the fog inside ourselves, that we're not speaking a language that makes us think that we're in consciousness. We're not operating from a place of intent, which is pure, unconditional love and pure beauty and pure leadership, and, but passing everything that, that leaves us through a foggy cloud of disappointment, frustration, anger, um, uh, uh, fear, uh, righteousness, and whatever. And so having a personal checklist, it's really important. The one thing we can change, the one thing that changes in the process of evolution of the human species from the, that very first cell I was talking about originally to now is the way people think. Not necessarily only what they think, but by essence, how they think. By the accidents and the disasters and the, and the culmination of experiences on earth, we learn to not only think certain things, which is what we think, we learn to think differently, the process of thinking. Let's look at that for a second. The process of thinking can be I'm right, you're wrong. The process of thinking can be, geez, I'm fearful. I better speak something. I better think, feel something that helps me overcome the fear. 
we can be in a very reactive space in our how we think space. So it's really critical, uh, I believe, to create a how I think model rather than a what I think model. Now, in order to differentiate between how I think and what I think, uh, we have to differentiate between what I feel, what I think, what I want, what I fear, all the what-ofs, because our fears and our uncertainties, and most importantly, and here comes the bullet point here, guys, our stories cause us to pass everything that comes from the purity of our good heart through a cloud out into the atmosphere through words well chosen that don't cause what we intended. In other words, if I have a what I think process, which is I think the world should be a good place, there's a should, and that's the cloud through which you know I want to be kind or careful or generous or, or whatever. And if I pass my good intent, which is to share love with the world, through a cloud which is biased into what I think, all right, then what comes out, the words might be perfectly magically chosen. They could even be the Buddha's own words or Jesus' own words or Muhammad's own words. I could choose the exact words of a prophet. But because they're passing through my own personal cloud of stories and judgments and uncertainties and emotions, I bend those words into a, a warped experience for the reader, for the, for the listener. So uh, it's a well-known fact that if you want to read a book, be careful who wrote it, because between the lines, between the lines, and in the wording of itself, there can be desperation. A desperate person wanting to get their book sold, a desperate person wanting to um, share what they think, a person wanting to bend your experience of life towards what they think you should have through the kindness that they're trying to bring to the table. But in the words and the laying out and the, and the orientation of the words they've chosen can be quite low consciousness uh, disruption to your life. So you have to be careful. And that's why I say to people, be careful what you read. Don't believe what you read. Be skeptical. And if you can, choose books and works that have stood the test of time. Rumi is a good example. Rumi, uh, a very tortured person in, in his real life, um, and if you want to look at his history, you'll be very shocked at the, the life of Rumi, wrote the most magnificent poetry. And he came from the darkest, darkest place, which was nigh on past being suicidal. Uh, it was past that point of tor self-torture and uh, and it was from deprivation and 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 uh, uh, suffering that he wrote the most magnificent poetry and that poetry still exists on bookshelves in bookstores today hundreds and hundreds of years later so you can find works by Ralph Waldo Emerson and and Thoreau you can find works by many great people that are well over 200 years old and you can suddenly go damn some books last about a month some books last a couple of months, ebooks and what have you. Some concepts, like Tom Peters is a great example. Tom Peters is a business writer who's written hundreds of books. And the interesting thing back, in, back when he first started, he would write a book saying, all corporate people should behave like this. 
And the following year, the next book reversed it and said basically all corporate people shouldn't behave like that. So it was what he thought, not how he thought, that was important to him in the delivery of his work. And it came through the cloud of the man, Tom Peters, his stories, his history, his background, and his whatever. So now let's have a little chat, if you don't mind, about how you think. Not what you think. Let's see if how you think can pass through from the true, your true heart of hearts to the words that come out of your mouth with the tonality of authenticity. The tonality of authenticity means there is no fog. There is no painting or smoking or uh, coloring of the words between your intent and your spoken word. In other words, you're not carrying around baggage through which your words get passed. First one. Come along, said the lion. Come with me. I will, I will take you and show you who you really are. Hmm. To have a global vision, you've got to rise to a universal viewpoint. In other words, to know what to think, you have to know how to think, and anything you think from within the framework of a global perspective is going to be corrupt. So we must, if we are going to talk about how to think, not what we think, we have to get off the planet and look back at the earth and realize that it's operating under a set of guidelines. Those guidelines have come from somewhere beyond what we're here to talk about today. But there is a set of principles that manage this earth and no matter what you think, those principles are in action. If you think uh, that uh, the water should be higher in the oceans or lower in the oceans or the temperature should be more or more or less, that's what you think. That's your cloud. You might think you're right because you've read enough emails and you've read enough blogs and you've listened enough YouTubes all free. It's all thoughts that have just come around in the last 20 years. And you might say, I must be right because, gee, I found evidence to prove that I'm right. But if you drift up and drift up outside the planet in which people are fearful of losing their home and people losing their lives and drift into the universe, there's a whole set of different principles that might be necessary to think at a universal level, in order to not be trapped in the smoke and the fog and the distortion of the cloud of earthly thinking. It's not what you think that's so important, it's how you think. And what I'm going to say here is a universal viewpoint becomes critical. Let's go back to that lion. A lion's roaming through the desert and found a little lion club, a cub, playing with sheep. It so happened that the little lion had been brought up with the sheep and had never had a chance to realise that it was a lion. 
the travelling lion was greatly surprised to see the young lion cub running away from him with the same fear as the sheep. The little lion cub jumped in, in amongst the flock of sheep and roared, Stop! But the sheep ran on, and the little lion also ran on. The lion pursued only the cub, not the sheep, and said, Wait, 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 I want to talk to you. And the cub said, I tremble, I fear, I cannot stand before you. The lion said, Why are you running about with all those sheep? You're a lion. No, said the lamb. No, no said the, the cub. I'm a sheep. I tremble. I'm afraid of you. Let me go. Let me go with the sheep. The lion, the grown lion, said, Come along. Come with me. And I will show you what you are. And he took the cub to a lake and showed him the reflection in the water. There, said the lion, look at me. Look at you. Are we not closer in image? You are not like the sheep. You are like me. Now, when somebody says have a universal viewpoint, they're asking you to realize that you are not part of the masses. You're not a sheep. But to think and to focus on how you think separates you from the mass consciousness. Stories become boring. Oh, I did it tough. Oh, I'm in pain. Oh, I've got this problem. And we live amongst the masses. We live amongst mass thinking. And so therefore we can't condemn it. What we have to do is understand it. But we become immune from the environment only by living on the earth with a universal viewpoint. I think it was Jesus who said, be in the world but not of the world. Or the Buddha who said, I'll tell them what they want to hear until they're ready to hear what I want to tell them. Which is in an, another way of saying, the, the Buddha saying, I'm just going to lie through my teeth. What Jesus was saying with, I'll be in the world but not of the world, is saying, eh, hang out with all these people, tell them all what they want to hear. Do you know that all the people Jesus healed, all the people, that the blind people, the people with leprosy, all the people Jesus healed died. That wasn't so clever, was it? It was a magic trick. A marketing exercise, if you will. If you look from the earth, this little grain of sand we're on, out into the sky, then your mind is controlled by the small dust of existence, the worries and the struggles of this very, very short life we have. But if you throw your whole mental power outside the earth and look back at it from the center of, for example, at the center of the cosmos, you take your viewpoint from there and then you give this earth its rank in the sky. It's merely, this earth is merely just a grain of sand. Compared with the rest of creation, this earth is so small that it, if it wasn't here, it would no more affect the universe than the loss of one particle of sand on the beach. It's an inconceivable concept that you could get a universal viewpoint but still operate within a global mindset. Now, 
Nobody's suggesting for one second that this is easy. However, if we go back to that cell that first came to the earth, what has it been doing since its first creation, since the very first cell multiplied into a multi-cell thing? It's been changing its viewpoint. It's gone from a viewpoint of I'm a little cell and I'm, I'm the only one here to there's a few of us around to, wow, there's a lot to, gee whiz, this is getting competitive to, gee whiz, there's uh, places to travel. Oh my goodness me, it's bigger than I thought. Oh, let's invent a wheel. Uh, oh goodness me, there's lions and tigers. Well, do we eat them or do we uh, 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 corral them? Gee, the dinosaurs are back. Oh my goodness me, the ice age has come. Oh, hang on, it's gone again. It, the whole thing has been about the evolution of a viewpoint. Now, the opportunity to be one of the few on this planet who can see the world from a universal how I think position, from a universal how I think position, and yet operate within a world which values what you think. Now, that's a sport. That's magnificent. That's leadership. That's freedom. That's independence. And it's immunity. Immunity from the ignorance of the people we have to work with and immunity from the people we, from time to time, get to live with and immunity from the people who gave us life. Their opinions, which is what they think, their thoughts, which is what they think, their beliefs, which is what they think, their emotions, which is what they think, their mental health, which is caused by what they think, is all confined by a viewpoint, which is looking from this earth, this little grain of sand, outwards. And what I'm offering you here is the opportunity, in listening to this, to learn about a universal viewpoint. And I made this really simple because it took me 20 years to learn the universal laws. What I did is I said, I would love to bring the universal laws, this universal viewpoint of how to think, not what we think, to prioritize how we think, not what we think, and bring it back to everyday people who run businesses, who have families, who take care of others with mental health problems, who are healers, who are guides to the rest of the planet, and teach people how to think with a universal viewpoint so that they can be of service to people who value what they think. It's not easy. And it took me 20 years to learn the universal laws. And so what I said is, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to create the universal laws of nature, which means the laws are not so uh, at the center of the cosmos, so to speak, which requires a person to break out of their uh, ant hill viewpoint, but requires them to stretch themselves a little bit into what they're familiar with and what they could accept as being a good reflection of the universal laws from the center of the cosmos and say, I'm going to talk about the universal laws of nature, which is uh, the same, because the laws of nature can't be changed. No matter what you think, the laws of nature abide. Earthquakes, tsunamis, beautiful sunsets, uh, the moon, everything is beyond the reach of what you think. 
And so in, instead of talking about universal laws with a universal mindset, I talk about the universal laws of nature with a local mindset, but understanding how to think over what to think. Let's go through a few of these universal laws and see if you can get a, 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 an inkling of the power of them. Every human has every human trait. In other words, we differentiate ourselves by what we think. So if I think the sky is green, I'm different to you because now my thoughts become different to you and I get what's called an identity. That identity is really important to me because I use it for branding, I use it for attracting a partner, I use it for uh, wealth creation. So all the things that are earthly materialized come from the differentiation or the identification of what I think. But if every human being has every human trait, that means we're all the same. At some viewpoint, that's a how to think position, not what to think. Now, if we see ourselves as being all the same, whatever I judge in you, I judge in me. Whatever I don't like in the world, I'm the same. Whatever I don't like, whatever I like in somebody, I'm the same. So at some level of how to think, there is a negation of the differentiation between human beings. Now, when we can't buy into that, that means we've stuck as a single cell or a multi-cell or a frog or a fish or a crocodile or a monkey, we're stuck somewhere in the evolution chain because we've gone back to what we think being more important than how we think, which is, in other words, a blockage to our own evolution. Now, the opportunity to evolve means you say, well, I know what I think and it's very, very different to how I need to think if I'm going to stay with the universal law viewpoint. In other words, if how I think and what I think argue, which is, as an example, a judgment, then I must surrender the what I think to the how I think because the how I think keeps me evolving. The what I think keeps me identified and keeps me individualized and keeps me branded. Our brand, as I do with all the 30-day challenge people, our brand must become transparent. It must be evolving too, because every time we learn something about what we think that's different to how we think, then we need to defer what we think to the how we think so that we think more wisely. The how we think comes from a universal point the what we think comes from a very, very earthly, and in some cases, I would say extraordinarily small viewpoint, the, the viewpoint of fear or the viewpoint of uncertainty or the viewpoint of insecurity or jealousy or envy. These viewpoints are tiny, tiny, tiny self-identifications that we get in order to make our separateness from somebody else more strong. So what we think becomes actually a barrier to how we think, or how we think becomes, uh, let's say, the comedy act that shows what we think to be ridiculous. And that's why stories reveal us. Stories reveal where we're stuck. And we go around finding people 
who really like our stories. We call them a spouse. We, we call them a family. We call them a friend. We, we look for like-minded people who speak the same bullshit that we're telling in order to make what we think more important than how we think. What you judge, you breed, attract, or become. Now, that's an irony, isn't it? That what we think attracts the very thing that we're trying to be separate from. That's another how we think viewpoint. You can hear a dog enjoying my podcast while we speak. He loves the guy bringing in the garbage tins. The first law of nature, or the first law of the universe, is the law of balance. Does the law of balance say that you have a viewpoint, I have a viewpoint, and those two viewpoints might be in opposition? Yes, it does. At a point of view of what we think. Uh which is going to reveal how we think. So if we stay addicted to what we think, we stay addicted to how we think. And that becomes a really important choice you make to yourself. Are you going to subscribe to the fact that there are different ways to think and that how we think is the greatest way to experience the free will of human nature from a, a very real and very everyday point of view. Disharmony, disharmony or arguments or conflict or tension or disagreement only occurs when a person's how they think is having an argument with nature, with nature's laws, the universal. So in other words, when we have an earthly perspective on something, which is a what I think, that causes us to think independently to nature and we define nature and we create what we think is going to be an imbalanced thought, which is an emotion, which is a belief, which is a perception, and we hold on to it. We say, wow, I found something here. I found a truth. Then the objective of the person with a earthly perspective is to create a good without a correlate wrong, an upper without its correlate downer, and these rights without their correlate wrongs, or attraction without their correlate repulsion, or an elation without its correlate depression, are the cause of all human suffering. All stress comes from the mind. And it's how we think that causes what we think that causes stress. But if you think in harmony with nature or the universal laws of nature or in harmony with the universal laws full stop, you can't be stressed. Because stress is a lopsided perception, an out-of-balance thought. And if you have an out-of-balance thought, there's a right without a wrong, a good without a bad, happy without a sad or whatever. It's how you think that's causing the thought, which is what you think, and it's how you think that's causing 
stress. So whenever we have stress, whenever we have a conflict, whenever we have a disappointment, a hurt, a suffering, a frustration, an anger, a fear, we are thinking from an earthly viewpoint, which means we have an earthly perspective, which means we have uh, how we think is coming from an earthly proposition, which is causing what we think, which is causing us pain. So the solution to all of these red flags when we feel out of touch with our vision, out of touch with love, out of touch with, with what's in our heart of hearts as a leader, is to go back and ask, how am I thinking? Now, I've tried to make the how you think as easy as possible because quite obviously, 20 years of my study is a scratch on the surface of understanding the universal laws. So I've tried to make it as easy as possible for everybody else by calling them the universal laws of nature and distilling it down into five. When we think from an earthly perspective, when we think from an earthly perspective, in other words, how we think is based on what we think, how we think is from an earthly perspective of an out-of-balance thought. We build prisons, and that prison is the prison we lock ourselves into. And we try to run away from anybody who disagrees with us or antagonizes us so that we don't have to change how we think. We don't have to change how we think if we can find an ashram or a Byron Bay or a drug or a meditation class that teaches us that as long as we're incubated or isolated or insulated from people with our eyes shut and our legs crossed, paradise is achieved. But when we open our eyes and step back into the world, what we should do is find a place where the antagonist doesn't exist. And that is going to be very, very hard because every human being has every human quality. And when you run away from a quality in someone in Sydney and you fly to New York to live there for, and be happy ever after, you find yourself surrounded by people with the same quality. Or you, uh, as, it, as I said earlier, what you, 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 what you judge, you breed, attract, or become. So you run away from ex-partners who are this and um, families who are that. You run away from them, and next thing you know, you run into them. In what you breed, your children, attract your boss or your partner, or in you. And ultimately, all human beings have every human trait. So everything we judge in another from an earthly perspective, <laughs> Uh, which causes us to react to it and causes what we think, causes us to judge ourselves. Now, there's nothing you've done or not done that's not worthy of love. Mm, but that's a really hard viewpoint to have if you operate from an earthly, what I think perspective. Every emotion Every feeling, every attraction, and every repulsion, and every like, and every dislike, and every good, and every bad, and ev are an attempt to live in a world of half truth. They are the fog between the true nature of your heart of hearts and what comes out your mouth. There is a great uh, awareness that. Uh, in my studies that I came across and, uh, 
and it goes like this. The, a universal thought is, it, it, it goes through a series like a rocket launcher. A universal thought goes through a series of fragmentations as it goes from the purity of what's in your heart of hearts to what you feel when you speak. It goes through a sequence of fragmentation. And those four fragmentations have been identified in every great book ever written that stood the test of time. However, they're not often put together as a sequence. Let me just go through that to finish up today's podcast. The first separation, the first separation between how we think with a universal viewpoint and how we think with an earthly viewpoint is the definition of masculine and feminine. That there, there are masculine qualities and there are feminine qualities. Now that didn't, doesn't exist in a universal viewpoint. Plus is plus and minus is minus. There is no masculine and feminine. But in splitting things into uh, what we think and splitting the earth into organized distinctions, we clearly define a human being by their masculine or feminine qualities. You can see this now evolving back towards a much higher level of consciousness as we start to have them, they, and this language that represents the, deline- the, the re-amalgamation of what we have caused by splitting things into the masculine and feminine. Now, this is written about, you can read about it, you don't have to take my word for it, just go and read the Bible about Adam and Eve, who in biblical terms were planted on this earth as the first humans in physical form. There was no cellular evolution. So it's a bullshit lie right from the start. And Adam was male and Eve was female and blah, 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 blah. What they're talking about, in fact, is a metaphor for the slowing down and the separation of a soul seed into the first breakdown between universal awareness and global awareness. The first breakdown in the, between universal awareness and global awareness, which is how we think, how we think at a universal level, there is no masculine and feminine, how we think at an earthly level, it's all divided into masculine and feminine. And we're working our way back up. So any time you call somebody too feminine or somebody too masculine, or you say this is too harsh, or this is too soft, or this is too right and that's too wrong, every time you're doing it, there's this core of masculine-feminine devolution, breakdown, woven into it and so what comes from your heart of hearts and what comes out your mouth can often be biased into the need for kindness without cruelty or cruelty without kindness or the need for good without bad or need to be disciplined without being friendly and there can be this split into masculine feminine and our job if we are going to focus on universal thought so we can be a leader in the world not a follower not a part of the masses is to remerge these two masculine and feminine sides and realize that they is a, a much more appropriate uh, definition of a human being than a male or a female. And we can do that on paper as well. We say mum and dad, mum 
is the nurturing part and dad is the t- tough part. This is just rubbish role playing that is based on an earthly viewpoint that causes how we, of an earthly viewpoint that determines how we think, that creates what we think, that comes out of our mouth and determines how we behave. The next one is separation, is the breakdown between self and other. Now, I've talked about this in this podcast already in saying that every human being has every human trait. When you say, my partner does this and my partner does that and my friend does this and my friend does that, we're separating self, oh, I don't, and other, they do, or I do and they don't. And this lie, which is, again, an earthly viewpoint of how we think, creates what we think about other people, which creates all the emotions, the attractions, the repulsions, the judgments and the criticisms and the and for most people that dictates the course of their life what they focus on is being near someone they're attracted to and being away from someone they're repelled from but that repulsion and attraction is based on how they think from an earthly viewpoint an emotional viewpoint in other words and therefore what they think as a consequence determines where they're going to be in the world so what are they being driven by they're being driven by their emotional tiktok of judgment of another human being. So there's no authenticity in their path. There's not even an authenticity in their their work because they're running away from work they don't like and they're running work towards work they do like. It's all like and dislike. And they become a very earthbound puppet. And this how we think from an earthly viewpoint causing what we think from an earthly viewpoint binds us to groups of people who have the same mindset as us, where we call them friends, or we call them clubs, or groups, or, 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 or uh, communities. And that's a dangerous thing, because once we join a community who has like-mindedness, we are not allowed, we're forbidden by our neighborhood to be anything in contrast to that. So how we think from an earthly viewpoint causes what we think from an earthly viewpoint causes all our judgment, all our fears, all our anxieties. And until we change how we think to a universal viewpoint and respect that view in its contrast to what we do, what we say, we can't have a clean path between our heart of hearts and our mouth. We get a fog. The next separation out of the four is pleasure and pain. Now, The human body is built to seek pleasure. It's built to avoid pain. And if it didn't do that, we wouldn't be here because we would go into the face of the the, the dragon. So the body, our body is a a machine that, that seeks pleasure, avoids pain. And because of that, it survives. Now, at some level of evolution on our earth, people were given the ability not to listen to their body in order to determine what they're going to do tomorrow. Uh, That would be called the evolution of the species. Uh, A monkey doesn't have much choice. It swings from the tree and grabs the banana and and eats the banana and then it goes and has sex and then it swings from the tree and eats the banana and blah, blah, blah. So at some point we went, "Mm, maybe I just need to control this body. Maybe I need to assert myself over this body because its pleasure-seeking appetite is a very earthly thing that has no limit because it will seek pleasure and more pleasure and more pleasure and more pleasure. And that gives it an earthly framework. It gives it 
an identity. It gives it a, a sense of mission on earth. Seek more pleasure. But no matter how much pleasure it seeks, as most of us who've done the pleasure-seeking trip have found out, no matter how much pleasure it gets, there's always a better one. And it's a very unfulfilling, very disappointing uh, life. So the, sep- the separation of pleasure and pain is an earthly viewpoint from a how we think. There's pleasure over there. There's pain over there. I'll go over to the pleasure which causes what we think, that thing I like and that thing I don't like, that thing makes me feel good, that thing makes me feel bad. And that determines what comes out our mouth and that determines how we see the world and that determines our viewpoint. If you go all the way back to a universal viewpoint, pleasure and pain are equal. There is no such thing on earth as a pleasure without a pain. As, uh, uh, as my lecturer at the, uh, when I did my full-time MBA said at the first day on the first lecture, Jeremy Davis stood up and said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And it's kind of like the same thing. Good and evil is the fourth. And this is just so hard to deal with because our fear of being hurt, our fear of being stolen from, our fear of being lost or losing control makes us think on an earthly perspective, which makes us, determines what we think on an early, uh, earthly perspective about circumstances that are with good people and circumstances that are with evil people. But every good person has an evil, every evil person has a good. And so when we judge somebody, we attract what we judge. Was that person so evil before they did that thing to us? Or did we fear them being evil and cause them to behave that way? You have to ask these questions of yourself. But it's ironic that if you think from a universal viewpoint about things on earth, you don't attract calamities, disasters, and humbling circumstances. But if you think from a human viewpoint, how you think is an earthly viewpoint that causes what you think on a local viewpoint, you attract and will always attract calamities, disasters, and humbling circumstances. Now, why do you think that is? Well, if the nature of all existence on this planet since the first cell ever came here is evolution, maybe calamities, disasters, and humbling circumstances such as illness, divorce, pain, stress, suffering, and nature's way of saying, evolve your bastard. Have a beautiful day. Bye for now.